0: Hello Plantpreneurs and welcome to Series 3 of the Plant-Based Business Podcast brought to you by us here at Feevolution. I'm Damien Clarkson, your co-host and co-founder at Feevolution, where right now we're busy building a new home of plant-based innovators. On this show, each week we explore what it takes to create and scale a plant-based business and we do this for the best and brightest entrepreneurs and investors who are busy building solutions for a better world. This week we're joined by none other than Chris Kerr, Managing Director of Univis Asset Management and New Crop Capital. Chris is also the co-founder of The Good Catch and their Executive Chairman. You may have seen in a Bloomberg article last year, Chris was referred to as the godfather of vegan venture capital. And this guy is literally the real deal. Both Judy and I speak to so many people who tell us about how Chris guided them on their investment journey. In this episode, we discuss Chris's entrepreneurial journey, his unconventional route into venture capital, how brands can truly stand out, the importance of companionship and downtime for entrepreneurs, and the future of the plant-based and animal-free sector. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed catching up with Chris. Chris is one of those people who've always been there and had to support evolution and guide us on this journey. So there's loads in here for you, whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor. So sit back and enjoy. How you doing, Chris?
1: I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's good to, good to um, finally catch up because you're a busy guy. and I think the last time we spoke was when you were in Faganen last year and um, you gave a sort of keynote presentation at a... Uh, A Food Valley Conference, yeah.
1: That's right. The world has changed since we last saw each other.
0: It really has, hasn't it? (laughs) So, um, we like to always start at the beginning. So, now you're well known as an investor and an entrepreneur in the space. You know, you've been very much at the forefront of driving forward our vegan revolution. Um, But tell us a bit about your upbringing. Were you always interested in entrepreneurship? Yeah, um, I
1: think I was. You know, I, I I've um, I was a hyperactive child. Um, I think today it would be diagnosed as ADD. Um, I was somebody who would not stay in my seat. I would talk out of turn. I would always be trying to get attention. I was the middle child between two other boys, a year older and a year younger than me. And so I was always kind of on the move. Um, and I was always somebody who had who had this kind of a vision of kind of a very clear vision of where I wanted to go or what I wanted to accomplish, but not the means to get there. And there's a, there's a story I was thinking about this morning. We had a, we had a mulberry tree in the front of our, on our our property when I was five, six years old. And I remember thinking, I'm going to make a mulberry pie. And so I, I had this perfect vision of what this mulberry pie was going to look like. By the way, I don't even know what mulberry pie would taste like, but we had a mulberry tree. I had a really, really clear vision of what this mulberry pie was going to look like. So I gathered a whole bunch of mulberries, I stuck them in a pan, and I mushed them together, and I put them in the oven. And I literally thought what would come out was that nice, crisp, you know, um, crust on top. I thought it just looked like it was something that came from the store. Of course, what came out was a big, mushy juice of a (laughs) a pie. So my vision and my execution were were fatally flawed. And that's kind of the story of my, my life to a very large degree. And I think I realized very early on that the only way that um, I was going to succeed was with partners who could help with the execution side. And I always felt like I had a very clear vision of where I wanted to go. But the, the path of how to get there was, was um, never as easy as I thought. Never. Not a single time. Um, I think I've probably started a dozen companies in my life and... Um, the very first business plans of all of them look nothing like the companies they are today, and that includes Good Catch and everything else. And so, I'm always really impressed with entrepreneurs that kind of, kind of, kind of do it um, uh, from concept to completion. But most of the time, they've got you know a team under them that really helps with that execution. And, and I, I've realized early on that. In the case of food, you surround yourself with chefs. They tell you where the end zone is. You surround yourself with engineers who will pay attention to the details. You surround yourself with scientists who understand uh, the intricacies of, of food or whatever it is you're building. So if you look at my entire history, I've never started a company uh, by myself. It's just been me. I've always had a partner for two reasons. One is it um, brings accountability. Uh, the other brings expertise. And uh, I think with, if you look at the work that I've done in this space since 2007, it's all been, it's all of it has been around building a big tent, collaborating, bringing smarter people to the table than me. Um, I get it wrong as often as I get it right. Um, there's, I have no, no particular special sauce other than I'm, I'm hungry, literally hungry for, for food. And, and so I, 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 I strive to kind of sa- satisfy an insatiable craving for good, good vegan food. But the people who help get it actually there, they're just a lot smarter than me.
0: Something interesting there is, how do you find those partners? Because as an entrepreneur, you know, like building businesses, a lot like many of our listeners will be doing, that's often a big question. Should I bring in a co-founder to the business? And how do you know when you found someone that you need to go down the path, whatever that path may be with?
1: Well, that's a really good question. And I'll tell you, you, you may not get it right. i may. um I just like human beings. Like I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I, I try to keep my hubris in check. Um, I, being self-aware and a little humility goes a long way. Uh, pick your partners carefully. I can tell you that I've made some mistakes. I've made some mistakes. It's hard to separate from a partner. It can be very expensive. It's not as easy as is you know. Sadly, it's it's harder to get rid of an investor than it is to, to divorce your spouse. Like it's a, it's a very serious commitment that you're making and it has legs that last a very long time. I do believe that um, if you think you can go out there and find a partner, that'd be like going out and saying, I'm going to find a best friend. It, it does kind of doesn't matter what work that way. It has to be fairly organic. You can find a, a business partner that, that, that fits a need. I'm of the belief that Um, to try to go out and interview a person for a job, they'll tell you what you want to hear. It takes time, probably about a year to figure out what they bring to the table and how you best work with them and vice versa, what you bring to their table. So I generally hire people because I like them, because I like working with them. And then we'll see how we fit together. I might add, it's not static, right? So when you pick your partner, they are learning as are you (laughs) the entire time. And if you think you're done, uh, you're delusional. So uh, we're all learning together, um, you know, good partnerships, they're not easy to find. But when you find it, um, it can become uh, incredibly rewarding.
0: <laughs> it's like anything, right? You just got to try try a few uh, hats on and see, see which one fits. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about your route into venture capital, because I don't think it's the most conventional route that I've seen, you know, you were working at the um, Humane Society. And so you ended up as sort of head of private equity there. And you sort of advised them on their portfolio um, and their investments they were making. And you got involved with companies like Beyond Me and Miyoko's. Yeah. So how did that all come about? And when you got there, how did you end up convincing them that this was the market they needed to get involved in?
1: Uh, So I definitely came in through the back door. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, The venture capital world is um, there's two parts of the venture capital world and it's, and it's, and it's overly exclusive to a fault. Um, You've got the analysts and the, you know, MBAs, and then you've got the entrepreneurs. And you can either come, you can come in through one of those two angles. Uh, I was from the entrepreneurial side. I was not qualified technically to be a, a venture capitalist. I am now, but I I don't think I was then, but I knew enough about venture capital. Um, I did, I helped a company get started in the mid nineties. It had gone through three or four, um, rounds of, of venture funding during the tech boom. And, um, I had just learned a lot about that process, including a down round and everything. So there was a lot of learning that just, you know, understanding the mechanics of it. It's not rocket science. You just need to understand kind of the terms and the mechanics of it. So I had that, I had that lingo. I had the knowledge of it and I had a kind of a good sense of it. And I've been doing startups for a long time. So I wasn't, I'm, I'm fearless around startups. And, and if you look at our, at our team, we're all, all entrepreneurs. So what I was most interested was the entrepreneurial side. The analysts, um, I've done business with, with kind of the MBAs. They come in, they look at the books, but they knew nothing about the human interactions of running an operation. And uh, for for anybody who come, thinks they can come in and take over an operation just based on what their model says, they are in for the uh, schooling of their life. And I watched that happen as well. Uh, so to be able to take um, entrepreneurs and teach them how to Better understand the mechanics of a startup um, was easier than trying to convince somebody who was used to modeling, in the science of it, um, how to be an entrepreneur. The two things are they're different beasts. When I went to the Humane Society, Wayne Pacelli was the CEO at the time, and he was working on on an idea around a humane nation, which was which a humane economy, which was really you know how do we invest in industry to solve problems. And I was coming from that. I I had grown up my entire life with, don't go to anybody with a problem, go to them with a solution. You go with them a problem and they will shut down. Nobody needs another monkey on their back. And so I I can't think of a bigger problem than going to somebody and say, by the way, you're now going to be vegan and you can't eat any more of the foods that you love. Like nobody wants to hear that. So I thought, you know, I become vegan in 2002. My wife had already been vegan at that time for many years, and and I wanted I wanted that life, but I didn't want to live a world of in a world of deprivation um, and a little bit of disappointment in every meal. I just wasn't going to be happy with that. So I thought I I need I need a solution. I Chris Kerr needed a solution so that I can have a grilled cheese sandwich when I want it. I can have my Philly cheesesteak when I want it. I just don't want to eat an animal. And the humane Society at the time, their senior leadership was similar. They were spending 160 million dollars a year trying to change hearts and minds. They had 180 million dollars in investable corpus, uh, all going to mutual funds and hedge funds. Uh, none of it invested um, towards you know the 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 um, for profit side, uh, the solution side, um, and. Uh, I went to them and I said, hey, you know, what are you guys doing to invest in these solutions? And, and Wayne Pacelli and Mike Markarian, who was the CEO at the time, said nothing. Uh, come down and talk to us. This was in uh, January of 2007. And three weeks later, I was working for them. They said, can you come do this you know, for us? And I said, sure. I had never had anybody else sign my paycheck, by the way, at that point. I was 40 years old. Um, and so <laughs> it was a little strange for me to go from – you know, being a small startup guy to all of a sudden working in a 600-person organization, the slowness of it surprised me, to be honest. Um, venture capital is agile, quick moving, fast on the feet. It had 27-member board. Uh, a third of them loved what I did, a third of them hated what I did, and a third were indifferent. And I, I, I think um, our intention was good. The execution was slow, but we got an enormous amount of work done in that time, and it wasn't just. You know, beyond meat and in and, and Miyoko's kitchen. You know, I helped. You know, put the Just team together. I helped. You know, Daya get launched. I helped plenty of companies get underway. And then we took that secret sauce, and that's what became our our venture capital model. And um,
0: so it's it's very much a founders. It makes sense when you know look at the funds you manage and New Crop, and it's very much a founder led approach to VC, right? You're getting in there and helping these companies actually set up and get going and come up with solutions to the problems. And I think that's really refreshing because in VC, quite often, you know, the, the investment side can be seen as, you know, putting up barriers and challenges. I think actually you're in there trying to help these guys grow. Yeah.
1: You know, it, we were following a model. It's, it's called community, community Development Venture Capital. And um, we had a history in that sector that's been going on since the 90s. And the idea with, with CDVC is um, to create jobs. And so the, the the demand wasn't, you know, can we create another, you know, unicorn? The question is, can we create jobs for the state of Maine, as an example, that will that will stick around? And food is very very sticky. You put a you put a a, a food plant in the middle of Ohio. Chances are it's going to be there for a couple of generations. So we followed that model. And what was interesting about community development venture capital was it, they did a study. This would have been around two thousand six, two thousand seven. They did a study and. Um, where most venture capital f- investments would die, maybe you know, one or two would survive to be really successful, eight out of 10 companies in CBC survived because they were focusing on jobs. So they, they weren't swinging for the fences. They were trying to hit singles and doubles all day long. And my theory was, uh, and this was back with the Humane Society, my theory was we need these companies to be sustainable. We need to play the long game. We, need, we don't know when these companies are going to find their breakout moment. Silk Soy Milk, White Wave, started out White Wave started out as a tofu company. 20 years later, it came out with Silk Soy Milk. That changed the, the trajectory of dairy, non-dairy milk f- forever. And that took 20 years to get there. It was another 20 years before it became a $12 billion brand. Beyond Meat was around for eight years before the Beyond Burger came out. You, know, you need time. So these companies need to be sustainable. Um, and the typical Silicon Valley motto was, throw some money at it, see what sticks, and kill it off quickly if it doesn't. And that was not going to be our model. Food moves, moves too slowly. So our thesis was mentor, 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 pivot, gather data, pivot, gather data, whatever you need to do to adjust so that you can weather through this because you you're not going to have your breakthrough product on day one. You're just not. You might have a good idea. But just like my ballberry pie, What comes out of the oven may not be what you thought it was going to be. And you need you need you need you need a little more time to get it right. And food is is requires that.
0: Hello, Damien here, co-founder of Feevolution. So at Feevolution, interviewing great founders is just one part of what we do. Our mission as a company is to create a world where plant based and cell based businesses grow faster in their work to create solutions for a better world. And as a founder, I've been through several investment rounds. I can tell you they can be a long drawn out process. So earlier this year at VVolution, we sat down to create an ecosystem and powerful tool to help startups and investors find each other quickly and efficiently. This new platform is now in a live beta. We have hundreds of startups currently fundraising on the Feevolution platform and are being seen by professional investors looking to fund the next generation of plant based and cell based businesses. For investors, you can learn more by visiting slash investors. And joining is simple, and we've already had founding members including Blue Horizon Corporation, Dismatrix, Veg Capital, Kerry United, New Crop Capital, Capital V, and more. And if you're a startup, you can join right now and it's free. Simply head to vvolution.com and upload your investment round. And we look forward to seeing you all there to create solutions for a better world together. So let's talk about Nucrop and and Universe Capital. So you set these organisations up. Can you tell us a little bit what you do, what your mission is and, you know, the kind of companies you're investing in?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we're we are solution providers. You know, New Crop Capital was really established to uh, change the narrative. You know, you can't take a small fund and try to change a one point seven trillion dollar industry. You know, we were we were had five million dollars to deploy for five years, so twenty five million dollars. We're now up to that, Um, but. At the time, it was such a small amount of money that I, uh, my first call was to Chuck Lauer at Straight Dog Capital and Lisa Furia. And I, and I said, we're going to have to work together, guys, because this is bigger than, than me. I need, I need help. And so that became the beginnings of uh, the Glasswall Syndicate. The idea was pretty simple. If we can show consumers, our friends, uh, those of us who we've been trying to change their hearts and minds, if we can show them something... Is is uh, base as food that can be a non-event. I was looking for a non-event. I was looking for it to sit down at a table, and not have to discuss why I'm vegan and why I'm eating this product versus that. So I thought if we can back these the way that Beyond Meat was working, Guardian was probably one of the better examples. Guardian really came out with, it, with its chicken product. It was noteworthy. It was a great product. It is a great product you know, silk soy milk was now everywhere. Uh, you know, non-dairy beverages were growing fast. What could we do to help push that along? Not just in the United States where it was obvious and we had whole foods to work with. Um, but other places in the world that weren't quite paying attention to it yet. So one of our first investments was in, was in uh, New Zealand of all places. Uh, I flew there for two days. It was, it was brutal, but, um, we thought, you know, you know, animals are animals. They need help everywhere. Where can we help? And so we went to where the innovation was. Rather than try to start from scratch, we went where innovators were already working. So the idea was to, you know, how can we back and um, support um, well-intended um, entrepreneurs who might need a little guidance? And some of it was structural. How do you set up a fund? How do you prepare yourself to receive capital? Are you picking your partners right? Some of it was operational. You know, do you have what you what it takes to scale? How can we help you? Some of it was, you know, there's a lot of induction by fire if you've just come out of nowhere. You don't know the food industry. You won't know about regulations and everything that comes with it. I'm still learning every day. So we thought New Crop was really set up to to um, to help entrepreneurs get. Their designs together and get get up off their feet and uh, it, and it it ended up just working i mean I don't think any of us thought it would be as successful as it is you know our our performance is is off the charts we've got a phenomenal track record we've done really really well, and we're just getting started, but it doesn't take much to get a company from zero to let's say three four or five million dollars in revenues and if you're an early stage investor that's a good return. Like you're looking at a 10, $15 million valuation. You've taken your money. You know, you, you can do that. Uh, We wanted to do something much, much bigger. Obviously we were looking at, you know, how do we take this and become absolute game changing? And so that's where the big tent kind of showed up and said, look, we can't do this ourselves. We need to let everybody participate on their own continuum. And so if that means we need a meat company to come in and help us with distribution, then great. We'll take it. You know, one of the biggest wins for, for, for good catch was having Bumblebee come in. Bumblebee is, has, you know, 60% of the market share in is Bumblebee. Uh, we needed we needed them and they needed us. And so this this collaboration was really critical. So New Crop was really set up to do that. You know this is, is our fund manager. So we're just, yeah. you know, New Crop is a, is a bank account effectively. Um, we, we are the team that, that manages it. So we were very good at gathering people of influence. Um, we like to be friendly. We like to, you know, we don't have to be critical critical of everybody. Everybody's in a different place in the world, so we're very personal about that. But uh, we're 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 damn serious about what it is we're trying to do. Like this is we have a we have a we have a uh, um, incredible sense of urgency around what it is we're trying to do. And so we're not looking. If you look at new crop, we're not doing another coconut milk or something like that. We are looking at things that will have a very very big impact.
0: How do you go about finding? companies you invest in because you know I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs and they all go to me you know who I love to get investment from new crop capital you know you guys are really because the quality of what you've done you know you've really um, done great work so how do people get on your radar what kind of things indicators are you looking for from companies you invest in
1: well, we're, you know, we're pretty traditional and, you know, people come to us, we go to them. You know, we, we have our own circuit of places we go. Most people know us now because, because of what we do. You know, I, I would, when I went to work for the Humane Society, and this is, this is, you know, very relevant to what we're talking about. We abuse animals throughout society, you know, from circuses to fashion, to media, to film, you know, animal testing, you name it we're 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 causing animals grief we are the devil in, in in the world of animals so when i went to the humane society and they had all these departments they had the anti-fur department they had animal farm animal protection department they had the alternative to animal testing department i thought great let's go find solutions for all of these things and i became a master of none you cannot be somebody who is an expert in alternatives to animal testing while also figuring out how to make plant-based chicken Uh, the two things are just completely different beasts. So becoming laser focused on food, which I'm passionate about because it turns out I love food, um, uh, made life so much easier for me. Honestly, it was just like a breath of fresh air to be able to say, I won't invest in this. I won't invest in it. Let me stay stay in my lane and become an expert in it. And, and once we did that, then we, we became known as a firm that invests in this very specific stream. Uh, that That created a set of expertise um, that we don 't stray from either we don 't do restaurants as an example you know we understand wh- how food plays a role in restaurants, but restaurants that 's a human resources issue i mean you're, you're, it 's just a completely different beast you know it 's hospitality it 's not food is a component of it, but it 's hospitality and we didn 't want to be in the hospitality business um, so we we just put this laser focus which which Allows people who are looking for funding to know why they would come to us, and um, it just makes it easier on everybody. You know, we also don't do indulgence. You know, we don't do ice creams. Uh, we don't do liquid beverages. Generally speaking, um, we haven't any yet, um, just because we don't feel like we can we can help those companies. We have no fear of missing out. By the way, so if somebody comes with with a great idea, I will say we will love to support you we can't invest in you but we will we'll support you in any way we can um we just if we miss a deal we miss a deal like i don't i don't have any feelings about it one way or the other it just you know i hope that all these companies are successful we're just not always going to be the right fit for them
0: yeah i think that laser focus definitely has helped you guys and um and you definitely have that generosity of spirit you know with evolution you've been super helpful to us but you don't invest in media kind of tech Events companies, you know, but doesn't mean you can't add value, and you've like been incredible, incredible to us. And I want to talk about Gathered Foods, which makes good catch, which you know, I'm super excited about. I used to love tuna before I went vegan, and I've been missing tuna. And Judy, my co-founder and wife, um, is the same. So we there's a lot of talk in our household about that. So tell us about Gathered Foods and the good catch range, and um, what you're trying to achieve with that. And I love you to talk about your new 20 million dollar manufacturing facility as well and building that out in a pandemic so
1: good catch no one was really doing seafood the way we felt like it needed to be done it wasn't chef driven uh there was a few companies out there but it weren't they weren't truly chef driven they were kind of focusing on food tech and we don't eat food tech we eat food that's delicious so we said look let's start from scratch um we had we had taken um Kind of my secret sauce it's not my secret sauce. I had Derek and Chad Sarno sticking in stuck inside of Whole Foods, and I was using them to help bring these companies to market and they were helping to place them and in the world of um, new and innovative products oftentimes you need to con- uh, teach consumers how to how to um, consume a product how to work with it and so i said uh, chad i said why don 't we why don 't we start from scratch? Are you game and so we end up um, launching good catch and uh, we didn't quite know what it would be, but you know, 40% of the world's population relies on seafood as a core protein, and yet nobody was coming up with an alternative. They're focusing on chicken and beef and everything else. So that's one. Uh, two, we eat between 200 and 300 different types of sea creatures, and, so, and all of them are in trouble. right? All of them had a little bit of a bad story behind them. Uh, you really can't get seafood today that doesn't have a little bit of naughtiness in it, whether that's mercury or, or, or uh, dioxins in the case of um, aquaculture. Uh, you know, you've got slave trade in the, in, 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 in in shrimp and other, in other, um, fishing industries. So the real question was, um, if there's a little bit of bad news in every bite of seafood and it's getting worse, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Climate change is making it worse. The industry is in trouble. Um, we've got some, we've got some tailwinds here that could be very helpful in launching this, but we have to have a really good product. And so good catch came about, um, you may have had our pouches, but that's not, that's not even close to our best product. The fresh product that's coming out now, the deli style, your tuna, it's on its way. It is, it is remarkable. I had four days in a row of it this week. Uh, it is it is a very, very good product. And, and so we, we managed to come up with something pretty good right out of the gate, and it'll only get better, but we've, we were punching above our weight class to use some sports analogies, and we're skating to where the puck is going, right? We, we as we were building our plant, designing our plant in Ohio, we were watching Beyond Meat not be able to fulfill orders and, and they even launch into the into uh, Europe because they didn't have production capacity. And so we scrapped plans on a 20,000 square foot building. We doubled the size of the building. We built a blend, brand new building from scratch because we knew that we had already outgrown it. We hadn't even broken the soil yet. And so right or wrong, I'm supremely confident that people will move towards plant-based eating. We're watching it happening today. Will they eat tuna fish? I hope so. Will they eat plant-based meat? Definitely. And so the least risky thing we did was build that plant. Uh, we could turn it around tomorrow, make nothing but chicken, make nothing but turkey or beef, it doesn't matter. But that plant was critical in order to, to create the innovation that, that um, consumers want. The success of Gardein came with a marrying of scaled production with a very, very... Um, um, progressive innovation team. And so over the course of seven years, they came up with probably 80 products. Um, the fastest one they ever brought to market was six weeks from concept to shelf. We need, your, your competitive moat in our case is innovation. It's not gonna be IP and patent protection, it's gonna be innovation. How can you stay ahead of the current curve in innovation? And so the design of Good Catch is now focusing on um, an entity we have owned called Cultivated Food Labs. That's where all of the innovation happens our plant in Ohio, which is where we scale that innovation, and then uh, building marketing and awareness, right? So we work off of what's called the food pact, price, awareness, convenience, and taste. Taste, we get out of cultivated food labs. Price, we get out of our plant. Awareness comes out of the marketing department. And then convenience is the availability. So we bring in partners like you know, uh, Bumblebee, 120-year-old company. That's who we want to be distributing our product because they have the footprint. And so that's the design of the company. And um, from here, now that those kind of four pillars are being addressed, it's now, it can only get better. We're only gonna have better products coming out over and over and the plan is to have 20, 30 products a year being developed.
0: So this podcast is about practical tips for building and scaling great businesses. So, you know, I get a lot of emails so I can just imagine how many emails you're getting about, if someone wants to create a plant-based company today, what are a few practical tips you would give them?
1: Well, uh, having a vision is is very important, executing. The, the teams that have done the best, we've got a company, Alpine Roads. I loved Alpine Roads because it was founded by a woman, Maggie Rashani, who's a project manager and a scientist. And effectively, she, as CEO, was managing a scientist uh, as a project manager. So she was keeping track of it. And so you can have those two types of partnerships complement each other um, one plus one equals three. And I I I just believe that, you know, having a self self-awareness about um your abilities and in, in in your limitations is is uh really critical. I'll step back for a second. I, I'm this this pandemic has created um time for me to slow down a little bit. My wife mm-hmm. and I every morning we do mindful meditation. Um you know, it's it's about the practice of listening, about the practice of pausing, about the practice of being calm. I live in a world of, of just an absolute waterfall going through my head. It's pure chaos inside my brain. And so I need to create this, this place of stepping back, stepping out of my own shoes, stepping into other people's shoes. And that... Um, that's a practice. That's not, you don't necessarily have it. You need to work on it. And I think it's worthwhile for entrepreneurs to really think about, um, having the, the discipline to step back and see where you are, see where you are on your continuum. Uh, get a sense of self-awareness. put hubris in check. Don't believe that your product's the best thing out there. Um, I'd also argue don't, don't malign other vegan companies. That doesn't help anybody. Um, you know we're this is a really, really big world, and you know just because you came up with a product that's similar to another vegan company they're not they're not your competitor uh, we've we've got a we've got a much bigger bigger game to play here. Surround yourself with a couple key people who really know what they're doing and as you're growing' it's, it's one thing to go from um, getting your first dollar of revenue is critical, but going from let's say uh, half a million dollars of revenues to five million dollars know that that's a certain team that does that there's another team that comes in that takes it from five to, to 25 and probably another from 25 to 100 um, if they won't be the same people. The best thing that I learned early on was I'm not the guy that's going to take you to an IPO I just I don't I don't know how to do it um, and having a self-awareness around that is critical so I think any entrepreneur who has a good sense of uh, self-awareness helps Hubris can help you. But just keep it in check. You know? I mean, there's yeah. there's plenty of entrepreneurs out there that have done very well in spite of not being very nice people. Um, I don't want to live in that world. I like I like you know I like to be happy. And I we like, we
0: like the nice people world. <laughs> I think people would email me and say, "Why didn't you ask us um, if I didn't ask it?" <laughs> uh, what's next? What is coming next down the road in areas of disruption in the market? Where do you see the innovation coming?
1: Well, you have to think about. All of the different ways um, food plays a role in our life, and it's everywhere. And the moment we think we're we're winning, we're ahead of the curve. You know, I was in Singapore last year, and I went into what's called a hawker there, which is just a big room, like a big you know student union, and it was just filled with maybe a thousand people in it, and just an enormous amount of dead animals on every wall. Every everything was was. Dead animals, and I thought we're not even close. We're not even on the on the tip of the iceberg on what it is we are trying to address here. Um, so there's there's angles from every component of that. You know, I I, I tell people that um, look at look at cellular agriculture. You know, we were one of the first investors into that sector. I didn't believe it was going to work as fast as it did. I knew it would work at some point, but I didn't think it would come. It didn't work as fast as it, as it did. Um, In the farming industry, you can be in the meat business. You can be McDonald's putting it into your mouth. Uh, you You can be Cargill processing the meat. You can be a cattle rancher raising the beef. You can be ADM feeding the grains to the beef. You can be DuPont making the seeds. And you can be John Deere plowing the fields. All of those fall into that final product of a burger going into your mouth. Our industry... Is similar. Like food still has that similar supply chain, similar lifespan. We're streamlining it. Um, but we can play a role in all of that. In cellular agriculture, it isn't can you just get cells to divide, split, and grow. Um, you know, what's it growing on? You know, what what are you feeding? it? 80% of cost of goods sold in cellular agriculture is going to be what are you feeding the cells? So um, all of that still plays a role. And then, of course, there's final form, function, and flavor, which is the culinary art side of it. And, and all of that has something to do. Uh, then you take a subset of that, like cheese. And think of all the different types of cheese we have. We're fo- focusing on, on Numu right now is one of the ones in my portfolio. It's a it's a, it's a pure pizza-grade mozzarella play. We're not trying to overthink it and be everybody's sliced cheese and make feta and everything else. No, this is for pizza, and it's global. So let's try to address that and not try to say that there, there, here's a one-for-one one of all cheeses out there. Um, I think it's good to to realize that, that even if you look at chicken, there's all different ways that chicken be, can be put together. If you look at pork, there's all sorts of different ways. Um, there's just opportunities inside every component of this. And um, I can't tell you what's next other than everything is on the table. It's, we're creating a menu. We're creating a menu and look at the menu and see what's missing.
0: I love that. Yeah. Creating a menu for the world. We've got some quick fire questions we're going to rip through. So just one-liners are good. So firstly, why do you get up in the morning? For coffee. Perfectly good. I'm the same. (laughs) Uh, What problem are you trying to solve with um, your businesses and fund?
1: Quite simply, I'm looking for a delightful culinary experience without a discussion around it.
0: What resource or factor has had the biggest impact on your career so far?
1: That's a good one. I mean, it's my wife. It's my wife. I mean, I wouldn't be here without her. She. I call her the butterfly. If you're familiar with the um, chaos theory, a butterfly flaps its wing in wings in in Africa, and you get a, a you get a hurricane in the United States. That's her. She she flaps her wings, and you cannot believe the ripple effect of that. Um, we have all, the, all of us have that throughout our lives. She's just the, the world's biggest butterfly as far as I can tell. Um, that being said, um, then there's a few others that layer up on that. You know, the, the gentleman who backs new crop capital has been incredibly helpful in, 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 as a catalyst for us. Um, guys like Chuck Lau, you know, they've been supportive all along the way. Like, I need that support. I need that emotional support. My wife is, is very good at giving it to me. She keeps me in check as well. Um, but I need to know that I'm not the only one out there fighting. And for a while I was. I felt like it was just me. And uh, now there's a great, a great group of people. Yeah, because really...
0: you went and put together a team. You put together a little su- a superhero team of investors. Yeah, I yeah. can't
1: take her credit for it. I mean, I, I just, right place, right time. Um, it's been, it's a good group of people I get to work with.
0: What do you know now that you wish you knew when you started out in, say, the plant-based sector?
1: I think I thought that if we just came up with something um, delicious, everything would fall into place, and it doesn't. Food, yeah. I, I think in 2007, I thought things would be fast, and then I realized pretty quickly on it takes a decade just to get things out of the United States into Europe, and we need to speed things up. So one of the things that we did when we built Good Catch was build a coalition that was global so that we could hopefully take a decade out of the process. You know, Beyond Meat, it was a decade to leave the United States, Daya day a decade, Guardian a decade— um, knowing that early on and putting that into perspective allows you to make a few changes that would, could speed things up
0: that's great what do you do to keep yourself sane
1: Um uh, well um i live in woodstock my wife and i we we have a very privileged life it's a simple life we've got a small little house but i've got um i am Kirsty golson is Absolutely snow white i mean when we when we step outside in the morning or we we have a a, a deck out in front of our house, we drink our coffee we 're surrounded by animals we have deer who come, grace us with uh, their presence every day um, we have turkeys walking around. I need to be surrounded by animals. it keeps me calm, it keeps me soothed, it keeps me at ease and um, but for this this oasis i i don 't know what i do it's it's a very tough place. This world is very tough um, when you've stripped the veils off of your eyes and you see how you're being manipulated and and, um, sometimes you want to close your eyes and just put your head under the covers. Uh, Our way of dealing with that is stay present, stay aware, stay engaged, but take the time you need to um, bask in the goodness of, of what is good. In our case, it's animals, it's our friends, and that's what we're doing.
0: I think that's a beautiful note to end on. So Chris, look, thanks for coming on the podcast and thanks for your support of both myself and Judy and what we've been doing with Evolution and all the work you're doing with all the great companies out there. So really appreciate it. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to find out about your work?
1: They can go to uh, our website, and Uh You can get us there and poke around. So. Yeah.
0: Great, well, look. Thanks for coming on the show and um, hopefully we'll see you again soon.
1: Very good. Stay safe. It's been really nice to chat with you.
0: Hello, Damien here. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Plant-Based Business Podcast brought to you by us here at Feevolution. So if you head on over to feevolution.com, you can join our community of investors and startups and people building solutions to a brighter future. And if you enjoyed this show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a positive review. It really helps us in getting the message out there and getting more people to discover all the positive stories that we're sharing. You can of course give us a social media share. Please tag us at Feevolution. We're on all the social media channels and you can email me at Damien at damienatfeverlution.com if you want to reach out directly. Uh, we love hearing from you, you listening to the podcast. I'm honestly amazed at all the messages we receive and you know it really gives us the encouragement to keep making this show for you and um, all your feedback is always appreciated and as always a big thank you to Bridie Addison Child who edits this podcast and for all our guests and all of you our listeners for supporting the show so thank you and until the next time bye